following The Leftovers, the officially unofficial podcast for The Leftovers on HBO. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And tonight we're covering Season 1, Episode 3, entitled Two Boats and a Helicopter. Do you know that joke, Aaron? I do. You do. Why don't you tell it for people who may not have caught it? Uh, and probably have heard it at some point. Just don't remember it. So the way I've always heard it is a man is a victim of a flood. Yep. And he climbs to the rooftop and he prays to God and he says, please, please... I'm the floodwaters are about to overwhelm me. I need help. And uh, a man in a boat rows by and he says, Hey, jump in. Uh, I'll take you to safety. And uh, the guy goes, No, thank you. I've I prayed to God. Help is on the way. Me. Yep. A uh, guy in a motorboat comes by and says, Seriously, the floodwaters are about to overwhelm you. You should jump in. And the guy goes, Nope. I'm, I'm confident in my faith in God. He will provide and uh, I will wait on his grace. Lastly, a man in a helicopter sees him, and there's just like a foot of rooftop left. And he says, "This is just you're, you're about to be overwhelmed. Let me throw down a ladder. I'm from the Coast Guard. I can take you to safety." The guy says, "Nope, I've prayed to God." Floodwaters overwhelms him. He dies. He goes to heaven at the pearly gates. Uh, he says, "God, I don't understand. God, I prayed for you uh, to help me, and God said I sent two boats and a helicopter. What do you want?" Yeah, but um. Psh- uh, how do you think? So in that story, uh, the guy has supreme faith, um, but it ultimately doesn't save him because he doesn't act on it or he doesn't act on the, the, the signs that are given him. Yeah. He doesn't in, correctly interpret the signs in this episode. He, Matt does act. Matt acts fervently. <laughs> Matt acts several times on these signs. Yeah, but I think, okay, so here is my take on this. Okay. What's the Garvey at Keith? Is it? No, Kevin. Kevin. Kevin the, shows Keith. up. Dude, you just got your ass kicked. Yeah. You should stop doing your papers. Mm-hmm. It's time. Nope, nope. I got to keep going, keep it on. Okay. His sister says, Matt, you've lost your church. Mm-hmm. You're just I, I I used to support you I love you but you're just hurting yourself you're doing no good this isn't working you need to stop yeah my nope my my faith is strong at the he gets he gets his ask I mean he gets all this adversity mm-hmm. and he just won't stop and I feel like the end of the he gets episode the money taken from him is, I, I feel is like the third sign of you're misinterpreting these signs then he ends up losing the the uh, the house anyway which is either the floodwaters overwhelming him or I maybe that's so. the third sign and now at the end mm. is whether he's going to then is he going to stop is he going to double down what is he going to do yeah that's kind of my take i also thought maybe the guilty remnant were representations of the other path he was supposed to take like the man, they are the man on the roof. They are. Or, no, I, I've heard that take as well. Oh, really? Because I was, yeah. I was more of that. They are the rowboats that they're trying to also tell him okay. that you should stop. This is this is not the way to go. Sure. So yeah. Yeah, everything is telling him to stop, and yet he seems convinced that he's doing the right thing and continuing. And I can see why he would believe that. Yeah, his crusade. I guess makes a lot of sense to me. If you want to clear up misconceptions about these people, uh, certainly you should probably get on the internet and do it. <laughs> uh, maybe not pass around flyers. That seems inefficient. <laughs> but, you know, he's he's kind of doing the right thing if that's your idea of what this event meant. And, and I feel like that 
that's one of the weird plot holes in this film that that this guy, this kind of kook, mm-hmm. and I use that term with affection because again, I think he's got legitimate reasons to believe this, and I kind of weirdly believe in his quest. I you know, like when he laid yeah, out yeah. to that pit boss what he's trying to do, yeah. which we'll probably get to a little bit more later. I'm like not, and I'm like I can't argue with that. That's that's a decent motivation. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints... Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Um... But I forget what I was saying. Okay. What was what was I trying to point as I'm trying to make there? Well, I kind of threw you into the deep end at the beginning of this episode. Sure. Um, maybe before we get too much farther into it, let's talk about our general thoughts about this episode. Because this was a very different episode than we were shown for the first two of it the was. season. Um, I want to also jump in here and say this is the first episode not directed by Peter Berg. This was directed by Keith Gordon. Oh, okay. Uh, who's had a long and storied career. Who is he? I've never heard of him. Uh, he's directed multiple uh, an episode of The Strain. Never uh, saw it. Ep- <laughs> episode of The Kill, or episodes of The Killing, Rubicon, mm-hmm. Dexter, House. Uh, All right. Walking Dead, Homicide Life on the Streets. I mean, Miami Vice. He's... I would say that this might be his best work to date. Well, it's hard to say because, you know, uh, Jaw... Uh, no, he's an actor. Given the that. reputation of the shows you just listed me, and I've seen a lot of those shows, yeah. I, I would say that this show is shaping up to be better than any of those. It's possible. It's possible. And this episode in particular was my absolute favorite of the three we've seen. I'm sure he, when he read this script, he was like, you know, there's some days you get out of bed and you're like really <laughs> excited for what you're doing. And some days mm-hmm. you get out of bed and it's like, ugh. 
Ugh, Glenn's got to go through this fucking tunnel. <laughs> what? Uh, who's, who's Dexter going to kill this yeah. week? Oh, Jesus. The baby's getting out of the bathtub. It's it's. But, but I feel like he got up with a spring in his step thinking, I'm going to sink my directorial teeth in this and shake it like a pit bull worrying a right. yeah. a, a, tie, a rope knot. I, I think um, – and also is written by a person who – uh, has, has uh, experience on The Good Wife, which has a good reputation. I haven't seen it. And a lot of CSI type stuff. Um, but, you know, she also uh, have a, has a co-credit with uh, Damien Lindelof, so, which he has a writing credit for all these things. I'm kind of interested in whether that's just a vanity thing on his part or whether he actually did the um, – uh, the Sorkin thing of I write all the episodes, I write the outlines for all the episodes, I ship it off to the writers to fill in the dialogue, and, and then they give it back, and I'm, I Sorkinize it. Man, I never felt like that was the approach they took in Lost when he was working with Cuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would not be surprised if he is very involved in writing these scripts, even when he has a co writer. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't shock this, me either. And it feels, this show feels very much like Damon Lindelof, certainly. Um, right. I, I don't think it's in exactly the same way that it. That lost felt like Damon Lindelof, right? Uh, but I can see the Lindelof in this show, and I'm not opposed to that. It's interesting that the ratings continue to drop for this. It started off at one point really? seven seven, which was a mild disappointment after some of the openings they've had with like True Detective uh, and some other shows that have piloted. Yeah. It lost. It's lost about a quarter million viewers uh, each week. It only had one one point three or one point four million this week. Uh, I don't. I have no idea how that stacks up as far as HBO and whether you know this is going to be a standalone season and it won't be renewed or uh, where they go from here. Yeah. But uh, personally, my my journey with this show has been interesting. When oh, I first yeah. saw it, I was like, "Oh, that's intriguing." But I've seen shows just like it. Sure. Uh, my second thought after seeing the preview a hundred times was, "Please stop showing me this preview. I've seen it too many times." <laughs> if I hear this song one more fucking time. It, yes. Uh, Seeing the first two episodes, they were good, but they weren't astounding. This They're is the episode where sure. I've changed my mind. I And I think the show is destined for greater things. And it's funny because the show continues to polarize because I had about as many people said, you know, I was kind of interested in an intellectual way, but this episode really grabbed me by the nuts and I'm all in. Yeah. As people that said, you know, I can't believe they went to this crazy bottle episode with this weird Doctor Who guy. And sure. I was kind of interested in the world, but if this is... This is bullshit. I'm out. It. So, I'm. We've never covered a show this polarizing from the jump. Absolutely. Uh, along those lines, I was going to ask you, what do you think this episode does to the momentum that we had built from a worldview perspective in episodes one and two? I. That's Specifically a great with question. Kevin, because I think Kevin's storyline was the most interesting coming out of season or episode two. And that momentum, to me, has just completely flopped now. I don't know that uh, – because, you know, you say momentum, but to me, I felt like they had some very clear questions. There weren't any cliffhangers. Um, I, was, I think the bagels are are question-raising at the very least. I, see, I kind of – I thought we were on the same page that those were question-resolving. I was also going to ask you that. Do you think this is a punctuation saying, okay, that part of Kevin's story – is resolved. He is not crazy. Those bagels were actually there. The dog shooter was actually there. 
I feel like this is the confident, this is Damon Lindelof saying, I'm confident that I can throw the audience a curveball, and this episode is so good. It is. And I also think that there's something to this theory that the Garvey family is tying all this together, because running through this whole thing is the relationship this guy had with the Garveys. In fact, that was the major plot point that kind of mechanically moved everything forward. The fact that his old man believed in him enough to leave him $20,000 that he could take at any time. Um, and I, we also dribbled so out a little. We need to talk about that. Wait, wait. We also dribbled yeah, yeah. off a little bit of, of plot. For example, his his father, whose name escapes me, the Garvey, I, I don't the eldest Garvey. Name. We questioned whether he went Joe? crazy. Is it I, Joe? I don't. Might know. be Joe. It doesn't matter. Sam, sure, sure. Max, Fred. <laughs> Let's keep going. The eldest Garvey. We questioned whether he went crazy before or after the departure. It seems pretty clear that he went crazy after the departure. Yeah, it seems like he was still the police chief after the departure. And maybe he was part of the investigation to these, this corrupt judge, which seems like it was the very first case that that's – and, and we're surmising that this judge was the man driving the BMW that disappeared that caused his wife's car accident. And then uh, the, the fact – I think that's that's – that's a stretch. I don't think so. I think that we're it, they strongly imply. I mean, it's you could debate either way, and there's a really good take that we've got in our feedback section about that. But okay. I think you can debate. I, I think it's definitely the implication is there that because she said, you know, I've supported this when this is about the judge, and I understand you had to get through this, but now it's become this thing. Well, you know, judge, uh, stereotypically, lawyers drive BMWs. BMW slams into his wife, kills it. He mm-hmm. finds out that this guy is actually some corrupt asshole, sets him off on this vengeance mission, this exposing, this separating the, the innocent from the guilty. I, I feel like that's, in my mind, that's settled. So I'm wondering, uh, I have a different vision of how this all went down in my head. Share uh, with me. The, the idea, the notion that I get is that when this accident happened, the or, or when the departure happened, there was a fund set up, as we know, for the people who were departed, uh, the people who disappeared on that day. And I don't know how far that program extends. Would it extend to giving benefits to the people who were injured as a result of that? And if that kind of case went to trial, could the judge have been bribed into saying, no, this does not, in fact... Uh, extend to the people who were injured because of people disappearing. And now he found out that that judge took that bribe, Garvey busted him, left the money for him because he said you deserve it, right? And Mm -hmm. I know that could be because the judge crashed into her. Uh, It could also be because the judge gave a ruling. To me, the implication that that it's a judge says like there was some kind of ruling there. Because it could have been anyone randomly in the car. Certainly. And I I feel like that that's Somehow more speculative than my take. Uh, I I don't think it's any more speculative uh, maybe. or less. Maybe you're um, right. I think we just both have different ideas of what's going on here. Sure, I I feel like that his work to expose him, expose this judge's assets as being ill-gotten and as a result of bribes, and there's probably some forfeiture law. And the chief bent the rules and yeah. you know, gave instead of that going into evidence, it went into a coffee <laughs> or a jiff jiff can, a creamy jiff can, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I, and I don't think there's enough info to really say what the exact situation was, other than that money came from the corrupt judge. But to fully answer your question, mm. this episode was really moving to me. Certainly. In a very emotional way that I haven't really understood since, because I had, I 
I just finished watching a very entertaining True Blood episode that yeah. I was very, feeling very good and very happy. And this show, <laughs> like <laughs> I started, I started to feel, I, I started to feel weepy by the time we got to the opening. And I don't know because I noticed the um, just from him getting punched in the church. Well, just I, I by don't know, the this... way, I wish that that guy had been MC Ganey. That's all I'm that? saying. It's one of the dudes from Lost oh. who is built just like that okay. guy. Essentially, anyway. Uh, no, I, 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 I the opening is what got me because the the one image of the angry father being held back and the boy praying in front of him. I yeah yeah. The first time I saw that, I kind of just washed over me. But I got this very clear impression that. This boy was perhaps praying that God do something about his father. Um, and I, I thought at the beginning that the boy was being uh-huh. raptured, being departed, raptured, whatever, and the father is angry about it, this family's But now I got the fact that this is a violent man and that this child, this small child, prayed for his father, this, for something to happen to his father, and now is left with that enormous amount of guilt, which we have some takes on feedback as well. And to me – yeah, yeah. I don't know. That just anytime I'm asked to put in the mental space of a child and try to grapple with adult things, I just get profoundly sad. And then the episode continued to hit them with his extensive flashback. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't a blubbering mess. Are you talking about the actual intro? Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 The actual, the the, the painting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I felt like I got progressively kind of sadder to the point. And I think I felt like I felt weepy. I didn't actually cry. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But uh, that's what this show did to me, and that's one of the rare I, – I don't have that effect very often, and I kind of prize it. Like – I there There is no doubt. I'm the guy that when his grandmother died, I didn't cry, and I'm for days afterwards, I'm thinking, the fuck is wrong with me? <laughs> Am I – do I not have the capacity for grief? Uh, and finally, it hit me a couple of days later, but that's uh, that's my space. I'm like, Jesus, what – why can't I feel them? Is it healthy? And so when this stuff kind of ha- happens naturally. Yeah. Uh, so I'm saying that my relationship with this episode is not rational. I actually love it. And okay. I'm interested to see where they go from here. I think from a rational perspective, you could also love this episode. I think it's a well-constructed episode, period. Um, and the questions that it raises about faith and about what works are good, what works are bad works here being... A fairly biblical biblical interpretation of that word. Um, I I think there are a lot of interesting questions there, and I hope we can discuss some of them in this podcast. This is an episode that, beyond just being podcasters and getting all the details, really rewards even the casual fan of rewatching. Sure. Because there's extra layers of meaning. Like in the first scene, that guy's (laughs) wife is sitting there in a wheelchair in the very front and her caregiver's right there. And that's interesting. And then when he later has a conversation with chief uh, Garvey and he says, you know, nights are tough for me. I took that on the initial watches. Like, you know, nights are emotionally tough, emotionally difficult, which is one, which is certainly still there. But also Uh I have, I, I, it's hard for me to get away from nights because I have this elaborate care routine I do with my wife every night for three years. Yeah. Yeah. And that implication got a lump in my throat too. The fact that this man has done this, yeah, this, every day for years, and we're still yeah. with this degree of caring and love. That's almost superhuman. Sure, uh, this guy. I think, however you stack it, maybe up until the point that he potentially kills a man, uh, is sympathetic in every possible way. I'm, I mean, he's I'm been tested fine with him beating that guy to death. Too. Hey. 
I'm not judging him for that. Massive certainly. justice boner from I, this guy right I, here. I actually might judge him uh, positively for that. Right. Because the guy was clearly an asshole, uh, and he deserves something. We don't know if he killed him. He might right. have killed him. He might not have. He, he gave him a beating. It definitely, deserved. I will say that it was another layer of sadness because it is a betrayal of who he is at his core. It, that might also be part of what's going on here with him. Sure. You know, um, it, it's interesting that he does kind of sin there at the end. Uh, with You know, he, he takes, he gets this money um, that he's, he's using $20,000 that has been wrongfully taken Period. All around. I mean, it's a bribe money. It's wrongfully taken from uh, the evidence room or whatever we think. Certainly. If uh, it was on the up and up, it would not be buried underneath the barbecue. Sure. Then he goes to a vice of gambling, which, you know, is I, borderline wrong. Certainly if many if Christ- religious. Certainly many Christians find it a vice. Uh, I, I th- but I think it's the going overboard with that vice. I don't think it's placing the bet that's wrong. I think it's being addicted or... I don't know. It's up in the air. But then, okay. you know, he he has the money taken from him, which could be viewed as a sign from God. Sure. Like, you've done the wrong thing. Don't take this. At least as powerful <laughs> as pigeons on a red light. Uh-huh. Interestingly, that green light turns immediately to a red light, no yellow. Mm-hmm. Those pigeons. That could also be taken as the sign to stop doing what you're doing. Certainly. Because it's wrong. <laughs> right. And, yeah. And on the, on the table, in the thing when the pigeons are uh, just hanging out on that roulette table. Yeah. The guy yells Jesus fucking Christ right before it, mm. which is a blasphemy. Mm-hmm. Is that a positive or negative sign for what he's doing? Clearly, there, the he's... interpretation is open on all of these things, and that's one of the brilliant things. And this this guy, he sees what he wants to see. And yeah, very clear. Like when he looks at the picture of what I think is Job. Yeah, it is know, Job. It pe- is people. Job that... on the dunghill. I think is the the title of that. Painting. Okay, so he's. Uh, you know, if you don't know the story of Job, this is the point where Job was yes. a wealthy, wealthy man, God-fearing man. Satan goes uh, to God and says, you know, the only reason this guy loves you is because you've given him all these good things. So God, <laughs> being the swell God he is, says, uh-huh. you know what? I'm going to temporarily remove my protection from you fucking with this guy and fuck with him. Just don't kill yeah. him. Go for he it. He kills all of his children. He destroys his, his houses. He kills all of his livestock. Destroys his wealth and afflicts him with a disease, painful disease. Boils. Yeah. And so he sits in and on his dung heap and scrapes himself with pottery to relieve his condition. And his wife comes up and says, "Look, man, curse God and die," because Which that's is essentially what his sister tells him in this episode. Exactly. And and I I feel like that was the thing where you know when he was having sex with his wife in a vision and it flipped to Lori and she goes, "Why do you persist?" I almost mm-hmm. think that that was a direct quote from Job's wife. I didn't crack the Bible open to look. It could be. Yeah. But I feel like that's her opening statement. Why do you persist in this madness? Curse God and die. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course he, he refuses and, and presses on. Um, but again, in the end, he is rewarded. Certainly in the end of this episode, unequivocally, you cannot say that he was rewarded unless there's a continuation of the story. And it ultimately turns out that losing this church is the best thing for him. You're saying that he was not rewarded. He was not certainly no. So, I mean, he has 160 grand in cash. Here's the thing, and I might this might be a listener take. I'm not sure because sometimes this stuff blends together. If so, when I get to it, I'll give you credit for it. But it's possible that this 140 some thousand dollars, 130, 145, whatever he's got left, yeah, is what he needs to take care of his wife now. Okay. So, and and what he needs, he doesn't need this, and and maybe this is God's way of saying. 
you do need to give up. Here's what you need to live the rest of your life in comfort and to take care of your wife because that's what's truly important now. So it, it could be that he did thousand get, is not going to get him through his whole life, but I, I see your point. <laughs> um, but from his perspective, okay, he certainly was not rewarded for sure. his faith. Uh, and, and it's it's random events. I, I we'll talk about this in a second, but yes, there might be more to this story and ultimately it might turn out good for him, but we don't know that yet. And from his perspective, it was bad. It was right. very bad. The worst thing that could have happened. One other thing I want to talk about, because I guess this is just going to be a free flowing half ass yeah, cast. There's one storyline. I feel like the one thing I want to talk about, about is this guy that comes over for the baptism on the down low. And there's this yeah, exquisitely yeah. filmed christening. And this, you know, this really shows what a good guy this is. And he really cares for people. He cares for Slock. He cares for his individual child. Yeah. Um, and he baptized this child. And the guy says, wants to donate something. He goes, you know, don't do that. Just talk to your wife who's against religion after the 14th. Yeah. And uh, he's, uh, he, he, so he wants him to recruit his wife in lieu of payment. And I thought, is that a sly hint towards the commonalities that that he and his religion and his worldview have with the guilty remnant because he's he's recruiting here mm-hmm. and he's using this guy he doesn't want his money doesn't want that he wants to recruit him to his cause and in 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 inadvertently does by this guy giving him this information about the gambling addict um hmm. did you see is am i crazy for seeing that that no, I mean, I feel like the, eventually that's one of the themes is that the Wayne cult and the guilty remnant yeah. cult and maybe uh, the what's left of the shell of these world's great religions are yeah. not as different as people might think. Sure. I, I think there are parallels to be drawn, and I think the show is drawing them. Um, it might take a while to get to any kind of real resolution with that <laughs> or maybe never. Who knows? But, yeah, I don't, I don't think you're crazy for seeing that in there. I, I was going to ask you. So we know that the church used to thrive. Yeah. Um, now it's, it's virtually empty. Sure. Um, where to the point where a single baptism is an event, a big turning moment in his, uh, church life. Are people actually less religious after the departure? It it seems like we've talked about this before, how people would probably view that as a sign. And even his work itself seems like people did take this as a sign. Like it's the rapture. Everyone assumes it's the rapture. And he's trying to tell them it's not, but it doesn't seem like his church is benefiting from this. And I wonder if that's not just, not because religion as a whole has taken a backseat and people have stopped believing, but because of his actual work that he's doing with the flyers and stuff. You might have a point, because in the first episode, they show the school, and beginning they do the Pledge of Allegiance, they also do prayer. Yeah, yeah. Which is a very unusual thing to see happen in an American pri- uh, public school. Sure. In it's fact, against I'm, the law, actually. I think it's against the law, yeah. <laughs> in most states, yeah. But only about half the kids participate. So I could see that one of two ways. Number one, that there's a backlash against religion because not all the kids are participating. Or sure, that sure. there is a, I, a, at least among certain segments, there is a rekindling of religious fervor because of it. And hmm. maybe, and I think I understand both reactions because sure. – in the face of something purely irrational that happens, that's one of the things we had a debate about after the first podcast. It unfortunately didn't get on air. But in the face of an irrational event, I don't think there is a right and wrong rational response. 
Yeah. Other than I'm what you propose as, well, just wait. There is no, you know. There's... And your response is heavily colored by your beliefs before the event. Certainly. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. So Necessarily. I could I could buy either way in this world. It, it I, I kind of felt like they were trying to go to the religion was becoming less effective. Um, but I don't know, because also science has taken a big hit. People have lost faith in that. What do yeah. people put faith in in this world? And and why would he be on this crusade to say that this is not the rapture if most people didn't believe that this was the rapture mm. and that these were all good people to begin with? But even the secular observations like Heroes Day, can you imagine how galling that is um, for a man who, regardless of whether yeah. you subscribe to his, your origin story or mine, he's been fucked over by this um, accident in a way. His wife's not a hero. She's not on that hero's list, but all right. these bad people are. That that possible judge who disappeared out of the car is, and the one who paralyzed his wife is. A little losty, though, because the implication of his worldview are, you know, both the innocent and guilty were taken away Yeah, uh, to either maybe heaven or hell. Mm-hmm. And it, the the rest are left here on Earth as a test. That's purgatory. Yeah, yeah. We're, that, that's the whole planet. The whole Earth is planet lost. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus. Uh, okay, let's talk a little bit about his sister. Oh, we could. I mean, there's so much more to talk about here. But yeah. Well, I want to talk, talk about the sister uh, if you want. You know, first of all, there is a. Um, an email we got from, ah, uh, crap! I can't remember the guys. I think it's, uh, I think it's Spencer. I copied and pasted one of his paragraphs and I moved it into the main body. Or maybe it's, uh, maybe it's Aaron T. Shit. Um, I still read the rest of so I still read the rest of his email and thing. But I want to bring it to the main cast. But um, this, I don't know if you you noticed. Or actually, I do know you noticed because he mentioned it when we watched thing for the second time. But uh, this guy's sister. I forget her name. Mm-hmm. Matt's sister. Nora. Nora, the one that's softened her whole family. Lady. Yeah. Her husband is Lucas from... House of Cards. House of Cards. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually when you cast him like that, and in fact his wife is the actress that played Donna in The West Wing, which mm. is a big show. I watched the first couple of seasons of it. You usually don't cast these high fro- high profile people unless you're going to do something with them. You certainly for a wouldn't photograph on a fridge and for no. the, the, her act like a, a vegetable for roughly 120 seconds of screen time. Yeah, that tells flashbacks, me there's going to be which is an even more losty. Yeah, uh, there's going to be some flashbacks. That's a I'm that's excited. a given. I am too. I love I, flashbacks. Lost problem was not structure, no, not at all. So and and to the extent that you even believe that Lost has a problem, so I don't. I and and we love flashbacks yeah. most of the time. We love flashbacks on The Walking Dead. We like the kind of flashback story thing of True Detective. I'm. I know this is a polarizing opinion. I love Mad Men flashbacks. Okay. A lot of people don't. A lot of people <laughs> don't like to see the old Don crap, but no, I, I, like I love too, Mad yeah. Men flashbacks. So I'm excited about the possibility of finding out more of this stuff. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. How many more bottle episodes like this do you think that this season can sustain? I am super worried. Like I talked about the momentum coming out of episode two. I'm, I'm scared if we get too many of these uh, that we might lose track of the world as a whole. Uh, and, you know, the Guilty Remnant. And there's a lot of stuff going on outside of these single characters. Sure. Uh, that I want to know more about. Uh, one of those things that, that could potentially hurt the show is if we were to have another part of a bottle episode uh, next week. 
I think that that would be a big mistake, but I could see Matt having another episode. I totally could too. Because Christopher Eccleston just absolutely nails the acting he in this really, show. It, to the extent that I want to go back and give Doctor Who a second chance. I saw the season the, with him in it. The modern incarnation of it. I watched a couple episodes and just I couldn't get over the effects and stuff. But yeah, yeah. he was so compelling in this yeah. that I kind of want to go back and give that a second chance just for the hell of Just on the strength of his performance, which is kind of remarkable. It is. Um, and what's interesting is the all the press, like the Seppenwalls and the uh, Greenwalds and and uh, the Feinbergs, they got the first three episodes and episode five. Episode four was a skip. <laughs> and, and some okay. people, like Seppenwall, went, went, went ahead and saw the fifth episode. Uh, Feinberg said, I'm going to stop at three because I don't want to watch stuff out of order. Okay. I wonder why. Mm. Is is it because that this is going to be a little two-episode arc with him? And, it's gonna, and then it's, that's going to be a way to kick off and you know explain more about the guilty remnant and the stakes and everything and then having that emotional payload delivered they're going to then yeah. continue purely with going through the plot it could be because okay when do we want to talk about the dream that he had because later I, we've got <laughs> later later yeah. much later yeah that's the climax okay. of yeah. the podcast man sure um all right uh, uh one other question i have to ask about this scene with his sister yeah why why did he drop the note about her husband cheating on his preschool? I know he's desperate. He's desperate. That's that's but, really the reason I but saw But why would you do that to your little sister? You're, you're asking a rhetorical question. You know the real answer, but you're just like, oh, my God, I can't believe he did that. Well, it's a combination of if I thought that he thought it even had a 50% chance of working. Uh-huh. But I, as a man who has a kid sister— my kid's sister loses her entire family, and I know this devastating detail. I'm not going to drop it extortion style, almost. I on feel her. like this was an extension of what he did with the the guy at the casino, where he was saying, "Look, you have a reason for me to continue the work that I'm doing." But what that I think it's the opposite because she didn't. She's not a better person for knowing the truth. Absolutely. I agree with that, but he needs money to continue what he's doing. And he in in my mind, he thinks that telling her this is going to show her how important it is somehow. I mean, it seems I'm willing I, I, to I hurt think, you this bad. Well, he also says it's the one story I'll never tell. So he's telling her, I'm going to continue doing this if you can give me the money to allow me to do it, but I promise I will never write this story. I, it just to me it seemed from a man who seems so empathetic, and maybe that's yeah, the yeah. point. No, you're right. That's the point. That, that that's he's, the he's, extent he's willing to go. Yeah. That he's willing to hurt himself and the people he loves because he's so committed to his cause. Sure. So, I, and I don't have a problem with it. It's just one of those things where it was another part of the tragedy of the episode. I just gobsmacked at the audacity. Yeah. It's such a bad situation and such a bad decision to make there, but he makes it anyway. And, and I don't. You're right. I, I don't think it detracts from the episode. Um, so when I, when I first saw him getting this money, uh, -huh. um, I was kind of wondering what he was going to do with it. I hadn't put all the pieces together with the pigeons and everything yet. Uh, and he takes it to the casino and I'm like, okay, now I see the pigeons thing. It's, but I thought, it's yeah, a Fred Smith gambit. He's, he's going to go in there and just play penny slots for the next 15 years, <laughs> hoping to <laughs> get his money and subsist on alcohol and cigarette smoke. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know that the Fred Smith actually did this? I didn't. What? Who is Fred Smith? Fred Smith is the CEO and creator of FedEx, 
And in the early days, before people saw the wisdom and FedEx is now ubiquitous, uh, they had a moment where they had a $25,000 fu- fuel bill due. And Ooh, they had fi- Jesus. He had $5,000, which was their payroll money, uh, <laughs> in the bank. So he, it, they, they were going – he wow. either can make payroll. So he needs three bets. So he, he went to Las Vegas – and he gambled their payroll money and turned it wow. into twenty seven thousand dollars through an all night game of blackjack. You hear that, guys? Every dollar you put into Subbable <laughs> goes to the casino. If we ever get, uh, you're not opposed to this idea, I can tell. If we, so, if we got to the bottom of our funding <laughs> barrel, but uh-huh. it's like, and we could see that if we just had six more months of funding, that we would turn the corner. Uh huh. You could talk me into taking five my last five thousand dollars and going to Horseshoe Casino. Put it on red. And yeah, I mean, why the hell not? Because what is five in the grand scheme of things? What the fuck is five thousand dollars going to do for me? Yeah, it's and not going to see you through the rest of your life. Certainly. If we could somehow transmute that into six months worth of funding, it could permanently change our lives. So yeah, I. I think it's slightly unethical because I did some research. I was always told us in FedEx lore that this is something Fred Smith did with the approval of uh, of his corporate officers and employees. Mm-hmm. The articles I read in re- and, and before I went, talked about this in the podcast indicated, no, he just did it because he's like, well, we're going to go bankrupt one way or another. What the fuck? Wow. That seems like, you know, uh, you know, bully for him at work, American success story. But my God, if not, sure. you're – you're now uh, in super hot water because you can't make payroll, and that's illegal. So Yeah. Anyway. Whew, okay. Uh, well, I'm glad FedEx is around as an alternative to UPS. Can you imagine if we just had UPS? Or the post office? Yeah, nobody really uses the post office for shipping freight, right? Except for bald move. <laughs> well, we have to do it on the cheap. Uh, <laughs> so there's an idea that's brought up in the beginning of this episode uh-huh. about – whether you see things that happen to you as punishment or reward for your actions mm. and how it's it's very, like we were talking earlier, very much open to interpretation. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to see exactly where the point is where that comes into this episode. I know it's kind of woven throughout the whole episode. Uh, there's a lot of decisions he makes and a lot of things that happen to him uh, from the time he's seven or his sister is seven. He's who knows how old. Uh, eight, I think is what he says. Uh, he was his, ten his when she was parents, born. He was ten when she ten was born? Ten years old when she was born, yeah. You can see him being a an older boy walking wow. in the church when his mother is standing there holding. I mean, I interpreted that in that part of that flashback is his father is preaching at the old congregation, and he's walking yes. past into the little vestibule that then turns into a cancer treatment section. And that's him. And, yeah. and the boy is him. Yeah, the boy's in, but you see him from the back, and he looks like he's 8 to 10 years old, and his mom's got a baby in the front row yeah. cradling it. So, okay. Yeah, so, so which means that when been his, like 17 when he'd been 17 when his parents died. Right. So, But you can interpret you know, his parents dying, uh, all the really bad things that happened to him in this episode as test, you know, through the, the Job metaphor. There's also something about the fire and how the church changed hands that is not kosher too did you get that when he was having yeah, that fight with his sister he's like you know it, it, the church wasn't given to us we had a uh, fire and then and he cut her off now it could be that he's she's just saying that you know well god killed her parents so we could have a church that's stupid or it could be that there's something more to that story that he didn't want to, to think about right then or she could be saying that when her parents died she stopped believing in god mm-hmm. 
Um, and that the church wasn't left to us. It was left to you because I didn't give a shit about it. Ah, okay. I, I, I feel like that's more where she was going with that, but I'm not certain. Right. Um, but I feel like, you know, Matt is viewing this as he's, he's rewarded up until the point where he loses the church. Then he certainly has to view that as a punishment. Uh, but I'm, he's already <laughs> been through this multiple times as a child. And this yeah. is something every older. Well, so I think this might be him, him changing his mind on things a little bit at the very end, because he has been through these tests and he's always viewed them as tests and, and not necessarily punishments, but rewards for a few, like tests for a future reward. Hmm. And now everything he's worked for is lost. Everything around him. He views himself as Job. Everything around him is gone. You're right, because he the did Job have... The parable, Job doesn't ever relent, though. And Job's he, he's eventually through. He's eventually rewarded. And he is. Like, threefold or fivefold or sevenfold. So when do you sevenfold. look at those things and say that it is a punishment for something I did wrong versus this is just another test to get me to my reward? I think it's the latter. And, and as you always like to say, the language of cinema, when he looks yes. at the guilty remnant and they play the angry, ominous horns, yeah, yeah. that is an apocalyptic battle music. That is not, I'm coming I at now this, see the Arab of my ways. Sure. I'm, I'm coming at this as a more general question. If you, if you have this idea that tests are just kind of a ramp up to an eventual reward for passing them all, is there ever something bad that happens that you say is a punishment i would say no i, I, I would he's say been trained be. yeah. he was a child he had this blessing that was a test and he prayed for attention and he got cancer obviously he beat that sure then his parents were killed but he got to church and there's a warning he met his wife that's a reward so he's been trained that you meet adversity and you keep your faith and eventually you move on to bigger and better things and your life gets richer but when you continually get punished for no apparent reason how long does it take you yes. to give up Yes. Uh, that's an excellent question. And, and I, I think it's one that they're addressing in this episode uh, and that is not I, resolved in this episode. No, I think it's it surely is going to be resolved. And the other thing is, you know, I, well, I go back and forth about this disappearing thing. If it's It seems like it's an act of God. You know, you and I have had this big debate about sure, sure. You, can't, you can't make that conclusion. Well, I, as a, as a, a rational person, have made the conclusion that there is something supernatural afoot here. Okay. I, I would not leap to that conclusion, but all right. So <laughs> in this world, you know, where God has got plans and does things to people, um, I, that, I don't know what you do when you see signs and you're supposed to you, – you think you have a mission. How can anyone tell you otherwise? Yeah. You know, how no, can I'm, anyone I'm tell you. you you're crazy in a world where something crazy has happened? Okay. That, that's a fair point. Um so it's like he's got almost a super – and we know how strong people that fervently believe in religious beliefs, how strong their mental armor sure. is to resist change. He's got like supercharged Zoltan level shielding about yeah, yeah. this stuff. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I, if I answered your question. <laughs> no, and I don't think it was meant it's, – it's a question it's that open. you're supposed to think about. You're supposed to look internally, I think, at your own views and question – uh, kind of your preconceptions about things, right. about why things happen to you, why things happen for you. Um, he it, does seem to be continually punished for doing good things. You try to help he the, you, uh, you know. Yeah, let's talk about this rock. You, or... <laughs> you, you are you are opening arms and being welcoming towards the guilty remnant. Yeah, yeah. They buy your church. You try to help these people out when they get hit in the face with a potato. 
you get a rock in the face. You say it's a potato. You try to save. You the say tr- potato. I say rock. <laughs> it looks like a fucking Idaho spud. Yeah, as what I'm saying. Um, I don't know how a potato does that much damage to a man. How does it crack open your skull? Let me and ask make you this: bleed? What if the guilty remnant engineered that? As a oh, part of the conversion boy. process, no, that's Whoa, that can't. You're though. going that's, very lost now. Unless where's Benjamin Linus? Where uh, is he? Unless their head of their cult, which I can't remember her name, uh, unless she's like the Joker, yeah, level of planning. There's uh, no way they can it, make that happen. Yeah, I don't think you saw into season four, but Benjamin Linus is kind of the the mastermind, like the ultimate mastermind in Lost. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. We, so we're we're to the point where we didn't talk about Lori hanging around. Uh, Kevin's place. Yeah, when he went no, to that's, go that's dig interesting. up the thing. So you interpreted that as she's not uh, as on board with the guilty remnant as as we suspect. I interpreted that yeah. as she's on board. She just is paying significant personal costs to be on board. Yeah, you might be right. I, I took what we saw last episode. Um, you know, when she was trying to get Meg to give up her stuff, and Meg's like, "Don't you have anything that?" Like, how, were you okay with giving up everything you have? Yeah. And she's like, eh, kinda. I'm I'm Kevin's wife. <laughs> I mean, but this wasn't like a cult tactic of recruiting purely. This is something that's that's a yeah. real thing that she struggles with. That sure. she cares about her family, misses them, curious about what you know, want you know, want, wants to see them safe and happy. I guess, but not bad yeah. enough to you know leave the cult and rejoin humanity. Sure. She obviously went. It feels like she went to them by choice and mostly unprovoked by the departure it wasn't like she lost a bunch of people in her family Unless and decided this is my only option the uh the strong the take we had last week where she suffered a departed miscarriage sure i thought is mind-blowing you know that's yeah that idea is just I mean it's there's so many cool things and disturbing yeah and... <laughs> yeah and in um probably offensive to a lot of people probably yeah on on two different sides of the political spectrum yeah uh <laughs> so yeah i i it, 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 it was amazing um that's sure, what I so... lo- one of the things i love about the show is that it asks these questions and doesn't necessarily even give you answers it just is like hey yeah. contemplate this and i contemplate okay with this that. miserable existence yeah, some things I want answers to, other things I think they're just as effective or potentially more effective without answers. Because uh, they get you to think, and they get you to challenge what you think and why you think it. All right. Uh, where do we stand on the dream? Do you want to talk about the dream yet? Where Are we, we there? Stand on the dream. Um, yeah, I think we're ready, because he gets hit, hit, hit in the face with the rock. He's got the money. He, uh-huh. We've talked about... Well, let's, let's, let's stop there for a second, because I know that you historically have problems with coincidence in shows driving the plot yep this is a case where a coincidence him just happening to drive down the same road where a guy happens to get hit in the head with a rock drives the plot how did you feel about this and why he had agency the uh-huh. the, the him as a character i mean these are all things he could that... have just kept driving yes like if it had ricocheted off their head and then gone through his windshield <laughs> and hit him <laughs> But it's still, it's yeah, like yeah. there's, you know, th- these are all things that can happen. There are levels of believable. And, and him rolling three reds in a row. Yeah. That happens. Yeah, sure. All the time. And um, he took all these coincidences. A lot of these coincidences were man-made. It's, a, it's, it's our human brain 
has evolved to detect patterns because it serves us well. You know, these types of foods make us sick. These types of seasons are good to migrate. These types of times are when we plant. The, the, and the better we do at making these patterns, the more successful we are. Now we get into our modern world, and it works against us because we see patterns where there are none. Hmm. Um, a lot of these coincidences were his own in, his own in the making. The only one that's really a coincidental thing is the guilty remnant hanging out there and being assaulted and him being part of it. But again, he had agency. He saw that his compassion and outrage uh, made him stop, pull over and try to give assistance. And then he became part of the hate crime himself. Yeah. Okay. I I can buy it. It wasn't a super stretch for me. And I notoriously don't have a problem with coincidences uh, as they affect the plot, but just wanted to get your opinion on that. Uh, Before we get to the dream, I want to talk about a couple of things because I, I accidentally caught episode one again over the past week. Uh, and there were several things that oh, I noticed. Oh, God damn it. That causes yeah, episode fuck, one up uh, in my face. Jesus. <laughs> uh, and I was strapped down and forced to watch it. <laughs> um, so th- there are a few things that we talked about in last episode and even the first episode where some some information from episode one escaped me because okay. I wasn't paying close enough attention that might contribute to the discussion. Uh, specifically as it relates to Kevin being crazy and the dog shooter. Um, I feel like the bagels put an end cap on that, uh, significant end cap, but there is a moment where Kevin, when he first sees that dog, he's jogging, he first sees that dog, he reaches for his gun, which is not on him, of course, because he's jogging, why would you jog with a gun? But he instinctively reaches for his gun. Mm-hmm. Now, I could see that as being evidence for he shot the dog, certainly. Uh, that's just another piece of a potential puzzle. Yeah, no, uh, that's no comments about that. Okay, that's a good point. All right, and then another thing I noticed is I feel like the guilty remnant is a much much smaller group because we've talked about this as well last episode. Uh, and I, I thought I was under the impression that the guilty remnant was a huge worldwide or potentially at least national thing. I believe that is at least I my impression is a regional at least regional, like it's in the northeast. Okay. Uh, well, so there's a line in the first episode where Kevin's talking about the guilty remnant, and he says, a year ago these people didn't exist. Now they have a cul-de-sac. And somebody, I, I feel like somebody somewhere has mentioned something about 50 guilty remnant being in the area. But that's this. So you're asking uh, a year ago Is these people didn't exist, thing? and he's in, he's talking about the cult, and then, then he switches into... Uh, now they own a cul-de-sac in our community. I don't think that's enough evidence to say that it's either these people didn't or not. exist. These people didn't exist. Tells me these people, the guilty, the guilty remnant, remnant, did not exist they, as a movement. Yes. And then a year ago, they were founded. So in a year, this this cul-de-sac sprung up in the community, but also other cul-de-sacs potentially nationwide. I, I, I don't think. I think you can interpret it either way. I don't think there's enough information to tell. I, I can buy that. Yeah. Um, there is a, an official, I mean, I, I, we're getting like book spoilers and stuff because there's an official Guilty Remnant website that's ran by the author that I accidentally stumbled upon. Is it? I'm not certain that it's run by the author, but Uh, it feels like it is. It, it links back to his Facebook page. Yeah. uh, And and he has like a, an email list and stuff like that. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, I, I don't know. I haven't done the who is on it. I probably should have. I didn't know you were going to bring this up, but, um, I feel like it probably is an official thing, and it 
And I feel like I'm not going to spoil, but I do feel like that there's a certain conclusion you are to draw from that website about its reach and maybe even okay. some of its philosophies yeah. and teachings that you probably shouldn't go and investigate if you don't want any spoilers at all. Yeah, so, yeah. um, I, but from yeah, the show, I don't, I don't point. know. I don't know what's to believe. And we don't know how long the show, the season is going to take to play out. Maybe it's a multi, multi-year arc in this season. Right. The Guilty Remnant, by the end of it, are nationwide. Who, who knows? Well, we don't know. Are they going to do the whole first, are they going to do the whole book as the first season? Or are they going to do like half of it? And then, yeah, I don't know. We don't, we don't know any of those. And also, sure. I take it that there's significant deviations from the book already. So yeah. we don't know anything about anything. Sure, absolutely. But, you know, people are discussing this. I figure we sure. should discuss it. And it's certainly interesting to think about uh, and may have bigger implications. Anyway, how about this dream, yo? It's great because there's this really interesting thing where uh, he he plays this kid as in, in many different phases of his life, but it's always yeah. his grown self. and. He's moving backwards in time and forwards in time, and there's people from his present in the past, and uh, things morph from his wife having sex with her to Lori, and then he wakes up and he's on fire and he's screaming, and uh, we go back to the day of the departure. There was one interesting detail about the BMW, and then on the passenger side of the BMW, there was a giant round hole as if someone <laughs> had thrown something through it. Now you said, well, maybe it got blown out in an accident. Mm-hmm. My understanding of the way safety glass work that if it was just blown out because it got, you know, the frame warped, it would just shatter completely fall. This apart, thing yeah. looked like someone punched through it, just threw a rock or through someone it. threw a potato through it. Someone, <laughs> someone spudded it up. Someone spudded the BMW. I wonder if we're going to have a flashback where that is significant, that there there's more to the judge taking bribes or, Hmm. I, I feel like all of our questions are not answered in this episode, and there might not be. This might be me taking something, nothing from something, or something sure. or nothing. So could but be. I but just we know there, that. there are other questions that are that are posed and not answered in this episode. That might be one of them. And this Joe sure, picture yeah. continually was a theme throughout this dream. I think it flashed in three different places of his life. Yeah. But you know, again, the Job theme. I don't think there's anything more there than. Literally, he identifies with Joe because he fucking is yeah, Joe. Yeah, there doesn't need to be anything more. Yeah. It's pretty significant as Yeah, it's is. very surface reading, I think. Yeah. Um, Unless there's a tornado that comes at the end and God speaks out of it, I think the Joe parallel is yeah. done, you know? <laughs> so it shows him... It really gave me a sense of how much trauma he has had in his life and how many tests, as he would view them, have been handed to him. I mean, his... <laughs> That's why his parents die in the fire, and he had, the, the he had cancer that was aggressive and keep coming back, but he beat it. He's got the cancer. You can see how well the church was doing at the time when his father was sure. the minister. Uh, and now look at it. I mean, you, you look at it in the beginning of the episode. Nobody's Shriveled there. Up. So, so even his father's legacy, his family church, has uh-huh. crumbled into nothing. Sure. And now, and now it's taken directly out from under him with the guilty remnant buying it. I mean, this is a man that I feel really bad for really bad this is the equivalent of the scene in kung pao enter the fist where the guy just gets hit by sticks okay yeah yeah and and he just gets he's like for a good five solid minutes this guy the guys get worn out and like out of breath and then they kind of look shrugged (laughs) resuming beating him with this was just uh Doctor Who getting this shit beat out of him physically, literally, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, the yeah. whole gamut. And it yep. was 
I also found this vision very moving because, you know, it had the whole, the sister, are they burning in there? That's a devastating question for, I mean, that's how yeah. old my son is, and I can't even imagine. Sure, and you have to view him as a 17-year-old with his 7-year-old you sister standing that? beside him. He barely understands it, no. let alone what can he say to her to make her understand it. Or feel better, or comfort her. Yeah. You need comfort yourself. It's... Uh, and he sees the firefighters in the background yeah. with a picture of Job between them on the yep. fire truck. To me, saying this is a test. Yeah. That's yeah. that's him him seeing that picture there says that he's thinking of this. All as a these test. things he saw as, yeah. as tests. Um so some good visual storytelling. And, and Christopher there. Eccleston, his performance of all this, and then at the end yeah. when he goes and he realizes he's three days late to the bank <laughs> and he plays that just Man. A, a man trying to piece together uh, the the world that doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. That's a hard thing to portray. If someone said, you know, portray existential confusion right now, <laughs> that's not easy. And he really sold it. And and, sure. the, and the guy that was playing the bank manager, Christopher Eccleston, shows up on set. What are we doing today, boys? <laughs> uh, existential crisis. All right. Bam. Got it. They actually <laughs> beat him with sticks for five minutes to get him into the mood to play that. But but even the small performances and his sister crushed it. The bank manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt so incredibly bad for that guy. Sure. As the soulless bureaucrat that suffers the misfortune of having a soul and a heart. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, and the the fact that he did it to himself by uh, burying his head in in the ground for two weeks. Like, what if he'd done this two weeks ago? He, yeah, but his, his... Kind-hearted nature also did it to him because he had the money. He was headed for the bank, and then but, he got out to help those people. But if he hadn't ducked this guy's calls for yes. two weeks, it, the same—I don't know. It, it, it's I don't know a, where several he... tragedies wrapped up in in, sure. in, a, in a nice little enchilada. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a moment in the dream that I I really am curious about, and it is the moment where uh, a couple of moments. One where he's fucking Kevin Garvey's wife. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And and what questions does that raise? Is that all right? Okay, I want to wrap this say up. You're into... reaching a little bit. No, no, no. I'm I'm going to ask questions. I'm not okay. drawing conclusions because I don't know that we can. Okay. Uh, this is just a vision that he's having. So his hands catch on fire. Okay. In this vision, and then the fire springs up around him uh, right after he has had sex with Kevin's wife in the vision. Uh huh. Uh, and as a matter of fact, she's still on the bed with him. Um, I'm wondering, given that vision, given what happens at the end that the church is taken out from under him by the guilty remnant, given how he reacts when he beats that man and takes the money mm-hmm. from him, back from him, if Matt isn't going to burn down this church. Because the fire, I mean, we see the toner on his hands yep. early in the episode. Which is a great way to which say. Which is like an allusion to blood on your hands. Oh, I, okay. Same with the fire. Yeah, okay. It's kind of where I'm going. I think it's foreshadowing that he is going to meet a gruesome death at the hand of a, bun- a squadron of skeletal warriors. What? <laughs> where, what pop culture reference are you making I, right now? The, I, I, it's hilarious that you don't get it, but uh-huh. I, and I can't even shed light without oh, it being a spoiler. Oh, Boom. okay. Now yeah. you got it. All now right. you got it. Got it. If you don't get it, you, maybe one day you will. If yeah. you get it, then enjoy. All right. What do you think about that? Because his hands catch on fire. He's having sex with Lori 
his his bed then catches on fire. It feels to me like he's going to burn down this church. The hands Lori, on fire. Lori pussy good is what that tells me. And he feels like he's going to hell for what he's going to do with the fire springing up around him. I that's yeah, the impression I got. But it's also his parents died in a fire. I yes, totally certainly. can see him. Uh, and uh, one of our Facebook contributors, Jawan, I believe, said that he totally sees him like chaining up this church and firebombing it with all these guilty women inside. Potentially, yeah. Um, and the way we leave them at the end of this episode, it's uh, I could believe any any dark path you could mint because this seems, you know, he seems like a man that has met Satan to his face for the first time and now knows what he must do. At least that's what I I saw. Sure. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see or that in his face. Or you could pull Tyler, and now he joins Join them the as their ally. Man. I mean, I, yeah. I, it's uh, any nothing would surprise me. The the other big question I have that does not have an answer is about him and Lori having sex. Is this something that has already happened? Is this something no. that is going to happen? No. no. Potentially, okay. Let me lay out a scenario. Lori and so his wife gets paralyzed. He obviously can't have sex with her. He has the vision of having sex with her, remembering what that was like. And then it switches to Lori. Could this be something that he's already done? Could it be that he had sex with Lori? Could it? Sure. Because, I okay. don't. I don't. All right, well, let me finish laying out the scenario. He had sex with Lori. Lori and he both feel very guilty about that. Lori feels so guilty that she leaves her family and goes to the guilty remnant. For some reason, of course. I mean, it would have to be some reason that I can't explain. Uh... I just feel like there's a lot of significance there, and it isn't all wrapped up in the church. Eh, I mean, I it's, it's he's also having a dream, and he's incorporating things from all of his life, his current, his past. I mean, uh, the guilty remnant girl gave him a hymn when he walked in the door. Did he fuck her too? I mean, some of these things are just yeah, yeah. A, 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 a remix of all of his memories having his near death experience. Yeah, memories That's and his current experience. What I'm what rolling in. And honestly, I feel like about. it would it would harm his character for him to behave in an immoral way. Um, that's not Job. I, that's not Job's arc. I don't know. Job I mean, did nothing to sure. deserve what he got. I, I agree with that. Um, so that's the I, other reason I don't like it. Okay. I, I don't know that his arc necessarily needs to be exactly that of Job's. I think it could just sure. serve the purpose of this one episode. Right. No, yeah. Um, mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. I don't know. I mean, his his quest to say that not all these people were good might have something to do with his own internal feeling of guilt is kind of where I'm coming from. Uh, I, I don't know. There are so many questions that that dream inspires uh, and not many answers to be found. I didn't feel like it. I didn't think it was I, – I, my take on the dream is it did not ant, bring up any questions. It's just a straightforward – so you know why Lori, why he was fucking Lori in that dream. You yeah. know why his hands burst into flame. Uh, I yeah, I think it's a again, like I said, it's a remix of all of his memories and a near death experience, and it's giving context to things like we wouldn't otherwise have a plausible way to plausible way to flashback to the crash and flashback to him being diagnosed with cancer and fla- all these things were hinted at. This is because I talked about the three step reveal where you do something for the clever uh, viewers and then you do something for kind of the uh, you know, sort of average, and then you do something to like make sure everybody gets. I feel like this dream sequence sure, was sure. the one where you did a lot of hinting and illusion, and now you're just going to out and out show this guy's Job. And okay. you know, yeah. again, like the print, the the pudgy Princess Leia handing out tracks to door. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything other than he was on her mind recently. It's 
maybe I have been trained by Lost. That's and the fine. fact that Damon Lindelof I'm not is, attacking you, no, man. No, I know you're not. Okay. I, I'm just saying this. Maybe, I think we maybe should this move is on. a justification for why I'm thinking this. But I also want to bring up one other thing. Okay. Um, as regards to numbers. We know numbers were a huge yes. mystery yes, in we Lost. Did. The, um, Are you going with the epiphany board? No. No, I'm actually not. I'm going oh. with the number. I'll, you can get to that later because I know you did a little research on that. Yeah, it's nothing. It's nothing? It's just the hymns that they're going to sing that, during that prayer, during service. Are there any particular hymns that might relate to his situation? Uh, I will if if the listeners want to look up every one of those hymn numbers and see that they're free to do so. <laughs> You're but... a fucking professional podcaster, man. <laughs> I just once you, I found out that doing? those epiphanies were hymns and it's just yeah. part of the thing. It's like you know looking up movie show times. I'm like, okay, but that's the thing. Not going to do it. I like to. Part of Lost was watching all the tiny little hints that they may or may not have put in there purposely, mm-hmm. uh, and oftentimes. You know, retroactively just wrote. With you. Yeah, they redconned it. Uh, but they're, the numbers that come up on the roulette wheel are 3, 23, and 25. And someone went on Google to search for the numbers 3, 23, and 25. And the first thing that comes up is Colossians 3, verses 23 through 25. And they say, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Is the Lord Christ you are serving? Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Slow clap. I that that I like. You you do like that. I don't see there's I I don't think it means anything, but I think it's a sure. uh, it's probable that they didn't just pull that shit out of the, out of their Certainly, ass. Yeah, I, I think those numbers came up for a reason. Uh, there's also, I mean, if you look at Job. Uh, three twenty-three through twenty-five. There's maybe a little relevance there, but not. It doesn't seem to be as much. The the well, part until, Tom, with until me, Tom Cruise shows up and searches for it on Usenet. Okay, I'm not sure it's a thing. All I right. need to see Tom Cruise searching in a hotel room on <laughs> Usenet for Joe for Job. Fair. That's that's completely fair. <laughs> uh, the the one part of this that really stuck with me though is that last verse. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for the wrongs, and there is no favoritism. He did a lot of wrong this episode. Yes, he did. That has me worried about, uh, yeah, maybe not worried about his future, but maybe the repayment was losing that church. Maybe the rock to the face was the repayment for beating a man to that, take money that he got gambling. A to- I, and used a federal and used a judge's bribe money to do that. Um, I think that is one of the points I was going to make towards uh, at the at the wrap up of this as well that. He's on this quest to do this righteous thing, but he's done a lot of unrighteous things to get there. Yeah. And that this could be, you know, they're there. And it's, again, going back to the title of the episode, God is trying to tell him to do one thing. And instead of putting his faith in, because like, you know, this guy jumped him and beat him up. Maybe that was part of God's plan, too. Maybe that was a sign. Mm -hmm. You went against that. Yeah. Uh, You know, maybe that guy would have gotten caught. And thrown in jail, and you would have gotten the money back anyway. It's like, who knows? But you subverted God's will, and you took it into your own hands. Something that, by the way, uh, Job never did. That's true. He just depended on God. And he kept on, you know, uh, he got a little big for his britches at the end, but he never actually went against and sinned against God um, and took matters into his own hand. So there is definitely some of that. And... 
how this show is going to deal with cosmic justice or the existence of God and all that, I I don't know. But that's definitely an interesting question. Okay. Uh, One other thing on the signs. Did you notice that it was one, two, and then three pigeons? Yes, I did know that. Okay. (laughs) That's it. Okay. What else do you want to talk about? Uh, The guilty remnant as human cancer. Okay. All right. You know, cancer is a normal cell that mutates and becomes uh, malignant and it starts reproducing uncontrollably and begins to subvert normal systems and turn them into not functioning things and eventually kills you that way. Mm-hmm. The guilty remnant are these former human beings were productive. They love former human beings, formerly productive <laughs> human okay. beings that had loves and hopes and ambitions uh-huh. and they contributed to the GDP and they destroyed things and created things. Now they are just these things that are converting their worldly goods into things that make more of themselves. Mm. And whitewashing houses, that's cancer. They smoke. Is, are they literally yeah, yeah. Uh, a, 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 an Agent Smith-style commentary on humanity that they're, they're just becoming a cancer? That they are they're, – they're an extinction plan for human, humanity. Hmm. I don't, I, I don't think you're completely wrong with that. I know you're just asking questions here. Yeah, I don't even really want an answer. I just think yeah. that that's a cool parallel. It's, it certainly is, yeah, and it's, it's something to think about. I think there's a lot of GR hate rolling around, and I would say we don't know enough about them yet to say that they're a bad guy, that they're something to be worked against. They're awfully sympathetic for a, a a bad guy. On the other hand, you know, they're can- very cancer's not cancer's not evil. Sure, it's objectively not it is not evil. It is a force. To humans, it is. It's just a force of nature. Yeah. and you know, um, I, I kind of dig that cosmic take on this cult. Sure, they're not evil. They're not good. They're just. They just exist. They're just humanity humanity with a screw loose and the natural outpouring of what happens next from that. From when people just have no rational or religious hope, this is what this is what happens. Yeah, and I mean we've talked about them being having a very nihilistic worldview. Right. Uh, at some point. So you, you could say that they're they're not even working toward a real goal necessarily. They just think that there is no point. And that they want other people to know that there is no point. Sure. Right? Well, we've got a ton of feedback. Let's get to it. I'm going to do a very light pimping. Uh, If you'd like to support us, go to subbable.com slash move to find out how you can directly contribute and get some cool stuff in return. Uh, If you shop on Amazon, use amazon.baldmove.com. It costs you nothing and gives us money. Rate and review us on iTunes because that's how we grow like cancer. (laughs) And uh, tell friends or family for the same. Mm Mm-hmm. And let's get on the feedback. Spencer H. says, my biggest and most nagging thought is, who the hell is Lori emailing? This is previous episode feedback. Okay. Yeah. Got a lot of it, but I'm only reading stuff that is probably an open answer can, now. Mm-hmm. My biggest and most nagging thought is, who the hell is Lori emailing and what the fuck did the email say? Uh, that's mm-hmm. you. She was composing something on a laptop before cult leader came in and slammed the door shut. Sure. She's emailing her ongoing lover, Matt Christopher Eccleston. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get a freeze frame without a blurry image. Same. And I've seen nothing about it on Reddit, which is probably why. Uh, is she undercover and investigating the GR somehow? Is she emailing her husband because Ooh. she misses him? Oh, undercover. 
that would be an interesting thing if she was trying to bring it down from the inside and that's why she's pushing to be even though she's got misgivings she's pushing to be at the forefront and yeah uh i i don't know i i, I like that take a lot me too uh he asks, are we sure the guilty women exist outside this town eh, uh we actually quite, had a fairly yeah. good discussion about that um he mentions that jill clearly sees the dog shooter but amy did not so much as glance at him uh, there's more than one parallel drawn between Wayne's group and the great, the, the guilty remnant. Meg says, I don't want to feel this way anymore. And Wayne says, you don't mm. have to feel this way anymore. Yeah. Meg eats pancakes with a whipped cream, smiley face. Wayne gives Tom a cell phone with a smiley face. We talked about that. This is supporting evidence that these are kind of two sides of the same coin, the same cult. Coin. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, there, there are two reactions to, uh, it's a natural reaction that everyone is going to have probably to feel bad about these two percent of the people disappearing sure uh but how you react is certainly a big question in this series um and kind of ignoring it and deciding that i'm i'm going to feel okay is one response and another is to let it fester and with inside you and kind of eat away at you like the guilty remnant i feel like they're doing that whereas wayne's cult is happy-go-lucky but also getting chased around by armed federal agents. They're seen as yeah, more yeah. seen as more overtly threatening at this stage. Sure. Double uh, A Ron T says, just want to give two quick comments regarding Kevin's sanity and his dog killer stranger. Uh, first, only Kevin's daughter interacts with the stranger, not her friend, which is something that uh, um, Spencer H also observed. Mm-hmm. Since she is of Kevin's blood, maybe she has some of his crazy inner, which allows her to see him. Second, Kevin finds the burnt bangle, bangles, the burnt bagels. <laughs> then he walks like an Egyptian. But did he really? <laughs> Only he sees the bagels, and not, and no one else is around. He sure. should be imagining it all. That's not and that's not a non-solid point. So, <laughs> yeah, none of this is non-solid, right? Right. Like there are. I feel like Dan Deerdorf here. I'm not so sure that this isn't a good parallel of something not being crazy. What? <laughs> Are, what side are you I'm on? I'm not so sure that what you said is not <laughs> really crazy. Uh, what are you going to say? No, he's he's right. Uh, there is evidence to support both sides of this. Is are the bagels real? Argument. We need and by extension. We is need to have a soundboard. We can play the loss every single time. There's an open question. We do. We do. <laughs> Edgar E. said, the guy who is head of security at Wayne's Ranch, and you also see him shot dead in the gas station and open mouth kissed by Wayne, is Peter Berg, the director of the first two episodes. Nice. Dropping some trivia on us. Cool. R.J. Duncan said, all right, theory time. Now we move on to the new stuff, by the way. Okay, good. Maybe the 2% of the removed people were a direct result of their remained family. Members doing wrong at that point in their history. In other words, the only thing that was planned... Uh, was a set point in time, and the removal of the removed were the lesser of the evil ones at that point. Perhaps this explains Kevin's family, all their douchebags in some, oh, sort, God. In some sort of fashion, and a newborn baby's removed from their particular equation. Also, as a side note, maybe it was Durst that Kevin was in bed with when we see him being asked what he was doing upon the removal, and that is why her whole family got removed. She's the one in the wrong and at that point in her equation. I don't know about that, oh, okay. but I do like the fact that Durst and Kevin, that, that they rope a dope and they filmed that as if she was departed and, and as he was having sex with her. Uh-huh. I still think that's actually what happened. Okay. But what if they actually were having sex? And that's also explained some of her extreme reaction this episode that, hmm. oh, my husband che- and I cheated, to, you know, that, I mean, you can, yeah. her extreme reaction can be explained just by her brother being a prick. Sure. But 
I thought that. What do you think about yeah, the that's interesting theory? They removed people. Uh, those being the less evil of all the people. I mean, there were there were child abusers removed, departed. What's to say? Like, how uh, fucked up was the remaining people? Well, come on. If if a if a child abuser is removed and their child is not, that's oh. not the lesser of two evils. Yeah, that's a good 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 poking hole in that on uh, that theory. Uh, so, all right, I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm uh, anti RJ on that one, but I do like <laughs> sorry RJ. I, I do like the Durston <laughs> Kevin angle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jim J said, I find it pretty interesting that Matt's wife accident was caused by October 14th. She wasn't one of the departed, but her yeah. condition was actually caused by one of the people disappearing. Millions of people around the world must have went through something similar, and it must be pretty infuriating to hear the names of people who disappeared hailed as heroes, mm-hmm. while the people who died as a result of disappearance were an afterthought. Seems like that's probably a lot of the motivation behind what Matt is doing. Excellent take. Excellent point. Yeah. Uh, anything to add to that? No, I like it. Alexander K., I really don't get all the talk about this being a dark or heavy show. The girl watching her family burn to death, the music, the quick cuts. It's also over the top that I was laughing more than anything in the end. What? Dude still has 140 large. If they had focused on him losing his wife oh to God. a ghost car, that could have been powerful. But instead, we see nothing of the pre-rapture relationship because of focuses on manufacturing tension out of this unbelievable casino hijinks. Alexander I profoundly disagree with you. Yep. But I read your email as a example of the polarization that you know yeah, he sees yeah. this misery porn, which is someone's uh, another person on Facebook called it, as absurd, over the top, a farce, keeping him from connecting with it. Where for me, it really pulled me in, and I don't think either yeah. one of us are wrong. Sure, subjective, certainly. Uh. Jamie T says, this episode made the first two look like network schlock. It was masterful for once the questions raised were answered in a perfect tempo. Good point. Very few questions were raised in this episode that weren't immediately answered or kind of promised very quickly to come. Sure. I love the religious undertones like the minister being dead for three days and being unprepared for the moment of reckoning. Very Christ-like. Yeah, yeah. The bank manager telling the minister that it doesn't matter. You're too late. You're too late. Despite his excuses, reminded me of the scenario painted for me in my Christianity lays childhood, how the unsaved would sound to God after their death. All the excuses and good intentions and begging the world won't save you if you're a second too late. Much like a piece of music, this episode hit all the main melody notes with the guilty remnant overtaking Christianity as the religion de, de jour, while also bringing into harmony uh, our minister reaping exactly the pain he sowed. And somehow I'm still rooting for him. Bravo. Yeah, I'm, I'm Another with solid her. point. I'm definitely with her on the idea that, by comparison, the first two episodes are kind of shit. Uh, the first two episodes had me interested in the kind of way where I'm hoping they'll explain more and I'm hoping that they will form a cohesive world. Whereas this episode was just a character study, a character arc that I really, really enjoyed. And was and she's right was executed masterfully. Uh, Nikki P was the one that suggested that he could take this money as a blessing to take care of himself and his wife. Um, so I want to give her credit for that. Okay. JD says, "Hey, I want to start by saying I was on a fence about this show until this episode. I absolutely loved how they told the story of the priest and getting to learn some of his background. The gambling scene was extremely intense, and I loved how he went back after the guy that took his money." I was seriously going to be furious if they had him lose his money that quickly. I really liked how this episode, how this episode, and it seemed at least to me to give more answers instead of questions. Uh, this makes me optimistic back to show. 
Some quick thoughts. To me, the priest believes the 14th was a day when some people went to heaven and some went to hell, and everybody in between was behind, left behind as a test. At least this is what it seems to me. The priest is trying to show people that there is a reason to continue having faith and believing in something, that they still go to church, etc., because there is still hope for the people left behind. The jury is out on them, basically. Okay. So that's the purgatory, purgatory. take. Yep. Uh, I think we covered that fairly well. Uh, Spencer Age double-dipped on us, said, We see the preachers having some strange encounters with pigeons, much like Kevin with the deer. What do these have in common? I believe they both saw someone disappear before their eyes. They imply the woman Kevin was sleeping with disappeared out from underneath him, and the preacher could have seen the driver disappear as he or she is driving towards his car, which would explain why the first thing he does is not to check on his wife but to go look inside the other car. In the pilot episode, the kids who helped Kevin's daughter bury the dogs say that only the dogs that went crazy were the ones that actually saw someone disappear. I believe there's some parallel there, although I'm not sure what it means. Uh, yeah. I... Yeah. If hmm. if you actually saw someone disappear that you lose your grip on sanity, I could get behind that. I think I would. I, I don't know. He doesn't seem insane to me. Who? Matt. Really? No. Uh he he just seems to He saw a picture move believe... and speak to him. Yeah, I guess I took that more of uh a device for storytelling. Sure. Not, not as him physically seeing it move. I, I don't know. So you what think those that birds? he actually the... saw them move. Well he's saying like just in the same way that kind of Things are played fast and loose with the deer. That maybe these pigeons yeah. are fake too, and they're manifestations of his madness. I don't think there's evidence that directly supports this. Well, the G- the guy says Jesus fucking Christ. There are birds on the table. I. What about the bed? He's not seeing all of that happen. Um, yeah, that's true. That's actually happening. That that that. In- well, but also Kevin did not. Or did he? I thought at one point he actually did see a real deer, but the other two times he saw them or maybe intimated that it was in his head. I don't know. I need I, to go the, back and the, watch the first episode again. The two or three week jump between episode one and two throws all that into confusion because you don't know could he have repaired his car, could he have repaired his kitchen? Like yeah, yeah. that calls into question a lot of stuff. You get a pri- you can get a, a contractor in there to fix your kitchen in three weeks. I want to know his phone number. <laughs> Uh, ben G said, just about every aspect of this episode reminded me of Lost, the music, the camera shots, lighting, the way it built tension, yeah. a million other little beats like the quick cut from the intense parking lot scrum to love will keep us together, or even the way it was entirely focused on a seemingly peripheral character. Now I think the first two or three seasons of Lost are some of the best television ever, so this is all meant as a compliment. Um, you're the Lost fan. I never made it past the first couple episodes of season two. You think this is? I mean, is that valid? Is this a lot of? Is this a lot of Lindelof touches here? Yeah, I, I mean, I structurally, Lost is a slight bit different when it does these kind of pieces because it will typically use flashbacks. It will rely heavily on flashbacks. I mean, there's uh-huh. episodes like Walkabout with Locke where things are flashing back all the time, and you're getting most of your narrative through that, and you're seeing why they're reacting to their current situation because of those flashbacks and things that have happened in their history. I, I, so I feel like it's similar in some ways, but it doesn't rely on the flashbacks the same way that a lost episode would. But other than that, yeah, I definitely, like I said before, I felt like this was losty. 
Uh, Balar Margulis says, there's been much made about how doom and gloom the show is, and this week's episode didn't do anything to change about perception. In fact, it almost made me point to a show, or made a point to show us that whatever forces are at work are firmly in the corner of the guilty remnant. However, one such person has been positively impacted by the event. Or wait, not one person has been positively impacted by the event. Imagine the relief of an abusive parent vanishing. Imagine there's an angle in which a man's nagging wife and snotty teenage child disappear, but he completely and secretly is static. What if someone took the opportunity to make it appear as if they were one of the 2% in order to avoid a terrible gambling debt? Sure. No, I've brought that up before. Surely this can't be the only, about only some rightfully so depressed souls wandering about the earth coping and hoping to just make it through the day, right? You would think so, yeah. Like like we talked about and like he brings up, the, the child abuser, that child's probably grateful that that's not happening to them anymore. You know, I mean, and it would be not surprise me if they take uh, Matt's sister... God damn it. What's her name? Nora. Nora. And if it turns out that she did murder her husband because she did know about him cheating. Oh, boy. They came home and their children and they're grieving and she just decides there's no reason for me to stay with you. Awesome. Oh, boy. (laughs) Okay. Dave McBee, you don't like that? No, no, no. It's it's just a little darker of a perception than I have of her. (laughs) And when I say little, I mean significantly. Well, that's what I'm here for, man. (laughs) Dave and B said in an episode three with so much up in the air, is it too early for a series to go for a bottle episode? I understand that Eccleston might not have been available for a lot of shooting days, but don't we normally need to flesh out the storyline before we run with a bottle episode? I was about as interested in this episode as some of the Governor episodes of The Walking Dead last season. While this is still a good episode, unlike the Governor ones, I felt it was misplaced with someone that I didn't particularly want to spend an hour with. Overall, I did like the growth of the character, but this should have been an episode five or six type episode. Um, Do you agree with that criticism? Uh, I'm borderline on this. I think if this leads to something necessary in episode four, like we talked about earlier... Uh, kind of a bigger reveal for the guilty remnant, and that leads us into end episode five. Ma- like maybe this episode needed to happen when it happened, in order to explain other things. So I'm willing to give them a little bit of leeway, but I I do also think he's right. I feel like it killed some momentum coming out of episode two. Oh uh, yeah, and so maybe it was a little early for a bottle episode. But if they can you know push this into an awesome episode four, maybe it actually works. Hmm. What if this has been episode one? Oof. Uh, well, I don't think it works from the Guilty Remnant perspective, but... Uh, maybe. I don't know. They're still kind of as mysterious as they are. doesn't work from his wife's perspective being there out on the playground. Yeah, I, just something or Nora, really. Like, they, they would have to make it a different episode. Um. So, yeah. Okay, let's move on to J.D., I went to watch the crash the priest had in the pilot episode, and the priest's wife actually pulled out into traffic and got hit by a car driving by the departed. The fact that the car had no driver is really irrelevant since the wife pulled out in the oncoming traffic and would have been hit anyway. Basically, I'm <laughs> saying the 14th had no influence on what happened to the priest's wife, just her poor driving skills. There you go, man. That judge said that exact thing because <laughs> he took bribe money. This is a super – because we actually went back and watched. Yeah, and he's did. absolutely right. She pulls out into the road and then gets crammed by this guy. If yeah, she yeah. had watched, this wouldn't have happened. 
However, I get the implication that this is an intersection. Mm-hmm. Like at just off camera, there's a building cuts us off, but it seems like there would be an intersection with maybe a traffic light. Maybe the light was red and she's counted on the guy stopping and got plowed. It's possible. But we don't know that. It would yeah, be yeah. interesting if he is going on this campaign for faulty re- reasons. That guy could have the, – the, the BMW driver could have been manning the vehicle and still plow- creamed her. Yeah. And that would be another r- r- ironic uh, level as well. And maybe that's Certainly. why maybe that's why the wife is cast as a famous person because we're going to see that maybe their relationship wasn't all that great. And maybe he should have been the one driving the vehicle and they had a fight. And, you know, there's all kinds of things. Because sure. it is odd that his church was that stricken. I mean, there was like six, seven people, not counting his vegetable wife and her caretaker that's paid to be there, yeah. that was at that church. I wonder if there's a little bit more to that as well. Definitely could be. I feel like that's in large part uh, due to his campaign, but I don't know yet. Oh, that's true, because that's polarizing as hell. I mean, now I see why people would punch you in the face. That's what the... <laughs> The guy at the casino told him. Right. Maybe that's why he had to start doing the papers, because he was saying that at the church and it drove people away. Ah, Because yeah. he said something about, she said, you should do that in your church. And he goes, that's not what this is. So, uh, great feedback. Uh, yeah. Thanks a lot for giving it to us. Uh, you can give us more at at the, uh, at leftovers at baldmove.com. You can participate on our live show and podcast thread at baldmove.com. Right, sorry, facebook.com slash baldmove. And tweet at Jim, at baldmove on Twitter. That's all I got, Jim. All right, sounds good. We'll be back next Tuesday with another episode. Until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See ya. See ya.